Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. chasing something just out of reach. Power, pleasure, success, approval, wealth, wisdom. Solomon obtained all of these, yet at the end of his life, he said, it is only vapor, meaningless, like chasing the wind. But what if there's more to life? What if there's something worth the chase? Hello, friends. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you before, my name is Brian. I'm excited to be with you this morning. It's such an incredible opportunity to share what God's been putting on my heart. And I just wanted to encourage you on the front end. If there's anything that resonates or, or blesses you from the message, I'm going to be out in the comments afterwards, and I would love to connect. And on the, the other end of that, if there's anything that you might disagree with or any complaints that you might have, um, you can feel free to send them to my personal email address. Get ready for it. It's grantearnestfishbook <laughs> at hotmail.com. You can just uh, lavish any thoughts that you have in that direction, and that will be wonderful for all of us. I want to start this morning with a question. It's a simple question, but I think it's a telling question. I think it's an important question for us to wrestle with. And the question is this. What if I preached the way that you listened? What if I preached the way that you listened? Here's what I mean. What if I leaned in when you leaned in? What if I checked out when you checked out? What if I pulled out my phone when you pulled out your phone? What if I checked my Instagram when you checked your Instagram? Oh, they're having a boy. That's exciting. But seriously, what kind of a message would that be? Would it be full of expectation and joy and, and, and God is going to do something? Or would it be kind of distracted and even a little bit passive and flat? What would that message sound like? You know, a couple years ago, my wife, Kristen, lovingly brought it to my attention uh, that when I preach, I really like it when people talk back to me. I like it when people are exceptionally generous with their feedback. So I love it when people say, amen, pastor, or mm, that's some good preaching, or come on, brother. And since I live in the city of subdued excitement, I've experienced that four times in my life. <laughs> but each time, let me tell you, it was glorious. 
But what's interesting is that when other people are preaching, I oftentimes don't give them the type of feedback, the type of love, the type of affirmation that I would really thrive in if I was in their shoes. And so the question that got posed, I think it was fair. She said, Brian, why don't you engage the way that you want people to engage? Why don't you listen the way that you want people to listen? And I didn't really have a great answer for her. You know, I think we've got really comfortable commenting on the performance of the person who's on the platform. You know, maybe people ask you after church, uh, what did you think of the message? And, and you either say it was good or it was okay. Or maybe it was one of those weeks where you just felt like the message was, was directly to you. The pastor was reading your mail because it like went straight at your situation. And maybe you leave church and you're thinking, what an incredible message. And I don't want to get too far into this. This is a little bit of an aside, but I think it's important. If you ever leave church thinking, what an incredible message, then we failed you. Because the only message worth preaching that is actually transformative is the message that leaves you saying, what an incredible God. Amen. A lot of us are so focused on how the word of God gets presented that we forget to focus on how it gets received. We have more control than we think we do. And I think we don't ask this question enough. I think it might be an even more helpful question, which is at the end of church, you could ask yourself, how did I do? How did I engage? How did I listen? How did I worship? Did I bring the expectation in the room up here? Because by your very presence, we are all actively creating the space that we're operating in. And so our faith can actually bring it up here, or we can just passively stand by and just watch. Because, friends, there is an art to giving a good sermon, but there's also an art to receiving one. And you can't always control the sermon that you hear, but you can always control the way that you hear the sermon. And if you put it into practice, if you actually put in your reps, if you invite God into every moment, then I'm convinced that it doesn't matter who's got the microphone because God can speak through anyone. You say, God, I'm going to show up here and you are going to move and I'm going to listen for you no matter how eloquent or no matter how the message gets presented. I am here and I'm going to be changed. And that creates space for God to occupy and you are going to be changed. This week's chapter is all about participation. That's why I bring us to this question of, of what would the message, that, that what would it look like if it were um, to project and to mirror the way that I listen it's all about participation. We all have a part to play in the story of God. Even in this moment, I think it's so important for us to realize this moment isn't about me getting a message to you. This moment is about us collectively as a church, myself included, coming around a message so that we can bring it to the world. Amen? So before we get into the scriptures, I want to take a moment and pray for us. Pray that God would be working and transforming us. And so would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, I believe that you want to move in this space. God, that you want to speak powerfully, that you want to transform hearts and minds. God, that you want to change uh, the landscape of Whatcom County because of what is happening right now in this room. We acknowledge your spirit. God, would you have your way with us? Would you inspire us towards boldness and action? Would you inspire us towards participation? God, we want to be a part of your plan and your purpose. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So if you're new to the community, uh, like Wendy had said, uh, we're 11 weeks into a 12-week series on the book of Ecclesiastes, everyone's favorite book in the Bible. 
But we're at chapter 11. And so what that means is that there's been a lot of words that have gone forward. There's a lot of ideas that have been presented. And we're to the point of the book that I'm calling the therefore section of scripture. So after all this wisdom has been given to us, the author is finally engaging us with here's what we are supposed to do with it. And so I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's only 10 verses, but we're going to just knock the whole thing out. Then we're going to go back and highlight a couple of them that I think are um, of the utmost importance. But if you want to, you can read in a Bible. It's going to be up on screens as well. So we're going to get right into it, starting at verse 1. It says, send your grain across the seas, and in time profits will flow back to you. But divide your investments among many places, for you do not know what risks might lie ahead. When clouds are heavy, the rains come down. Whether a tree falls north or south, it stays where it falls. This is my favorite verse. Farmers who wait for the perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. So plant your seed in the morning. So keep busy all afternoon. For you don't know if the prophet will come from one activity or another, or maybe both. He changes gears here in verse 7. He says, light is sweet, how pleasant it is to see a new day dawning. When people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of their life. But let them also remember that there will be many dark days. And it's important to know that's not talking about bad days. That's saying uh, this life in the way that we're currently experiencing, it doesn't last forever. There's going to be a lot of days that happen once we pass to the next. And so in light of that, everything still to come is meaningless. Verse 9, young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to. Take it all in, but remember that you must give an account to God for everything that you do. So refuse to worry. Refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. But remember that your youth with your whole life before you is meaningless. So right off the bat, I think it's important for us to come around this word meaningless and really understand what it means. Because without it, I think we lose the, the essence of the whole chapter. So in the Hebrew scriptures, the word for meaningless is havel. And havel doesn't mean that something is void of meaning. It actually means simply breath. It means a vapor. It means it's temporary. It means that it's there for a moment and then it's gone. So when Solomon says that your youth with your whole life before you is meaningless, he's actually saying that your youth is going to be gone like that. That this life that we're living is not going to go as long as we think it's going to. It's so quick. It's so very brief, this gift that we've been given. The sweet, sweet metabolism of your younger years is not going to come with you into your elder years. So enjoy the donuts and Ben and Jerry's while you can because it's not going to last forever. Am I preaching to anyone yet? My goodness. This life that we've been given is a vapor. It goes by quick. And friends, the further you get down the road, the faster the scenery seems to pass you by. Can anyone attest to that this weekend? Oh my gosh. This life, this youth, this opportunity that we've been given is so very brief. And that doesn't make it worthless. It actually means that it's exceedingly precious. It's so brief 
It's so precious. We only get one life to live. We only get one shot at this crazy, beautiful, miraculous gift called life. And Solomon is begging us out of his own experience, for the love of God, don't waste it. For the love of God, don't use it building up your empire. Because I'm telling you, at the end of your life, you're going to say it's empty. It doesn't have to be. It's precious. So let's focus ourselves on the right stuff. And so I want to spend the rest of our time together looking at three things that Solomon's inviting us into so that our lives don't end the way that his did, feeling like he's filled with regret. And so the first thing that he invites us into is generosity. So it says in verse 1, send your grain across the sea. He's saying don't keep it forever. I know it sounds kind of like he's talking about a trade transaction, but that's not the essence of the verse. The more famous translation says this, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. And I've got to say, that's a little bit of a weird picture. I spent a good chunk of my week telling people to cast their bread upon the waters, and it didn't seem like a single one of them was all that inspired. But the essence of the verse is that Solomon is inviting us to cling or not to cling to what we've been given. Not to approach life as something where we're just trying to, to keep the little that we have. Instead to open our, uh, our, our posture and allow God to work through us to bless those downstream. The essence of the verse is an invitation to generosity. And I love talking about generosity. I don't think we talk about it enough because it's as much to do with us as it is the people that we bless. It's as much to do with the posture of our hearts and what God wants to do in us. He wants to grow and stretch us. The verse even says it. It says, cast the bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. And so it's not that we're wasting it. It's that we're finding something when we cast our bread upon the waters. And I would argue that what we find looks a lot like purpose. Solomon says this life is short, but it's only going to be wasted if we waste it on ourselves. I think, though, that it's important for us to talk about what generosity looks like. Because sometimes I think we have a skewed perception of, of, of how it's supposed to happen when we engage with it. When we're generous, we kind of expect ourselves um, to be filled with this joyous purpose, and, and, and it's just this wonderful thing. But sometimes people don't receive the gifts in the way that we want them to. Oftentimes, there's a real cost when we pour ourselves out. One of my favorite preachers, his name's Pastor Carl Lentz out in New York City. He tells this story about how for years he would actually, he would pray this prayer. He would say, Lord, make me a bridge. He said, Lord, make me a bridge so that those who don't know you can come to know you. He said, Lord, make me a bridge so that those who are brokenhearted, those who are lost, those who are hurting will have access to Jesus through me. He says, I want to stand in the gap and help people cross from one side to the other. Make me a bridge. And after many years of praying this prayer and doing his best to actually live it out, he got very tired and he started venting to his wife. He said, honey, I feel so empty. I feel like I'm giving it everything that I've got. But no matter what I do, it just seems like people are constantly walking over me. <laughs> and she, she let him talk for a bit. She listened pretty good. Then she said, Carl, you've been praying for I don't know how many years that you would be a bridge. What is it exactly that you think bridges do? <laughs> what kind of a bridge would you be if people didn't walk over you from time to time? I think we might have some expectations that need to be changed when it comes to how do we approach generosity. Because we can't keep saying, Lord, use me, then be frustrated when we get used. 
It can't happen both ways. And friends, I'm not advocating for no barriers. I'm not advocating that we enable people to take advantage of us. But I am saying that if we choose to say yes to Jesus, we say, yes, I want to be a vessel through which your love goes out to the world. We need to stop being so surprised when our shoes get dirty. Because the road to life isn't paved. Sometimes it's got dirt, even mud. God never promised us that it was going to be a clean There's always going to be an inherent risk in generosity. There's always going to be an inherent risk when it comes to loving people boldly. But Solomon says, don't let the fear that you have of being taken advantage of keep you from pouring your life out and being generous. Because I'm telling you this, if you do, it's not them who's going to pay, it's you. It's the posture of your heart that I'm not going to be able to expand so that you can actually be prepared for what I have next for you. So cast your bread upon the waters. And trust that God is going to use it for good. The second thing that Solomon invites us into is action. He says, and this again is my favorite verse. He says, farmers who wait for the perfect weather never plant. And if they watch every cloud, they never harvest. I was thinking, man, that's a good life verse. I could almost see it in a cute little frame over at Hobby Lobby. (laughs) I could see it sitting in, in somebody's living room. It's one of those verses that goes down easy and and it's just like yes and amen until you realize what it's actually inviting you into, what it's asking you to give up. It's saying stop waiting for the perfect season and start living in the season that you're in. Saying stop waiting for the promotion, stop waiting for the breakthrough before you actually invest your life the way that God is inviting you to. Stop waiting for the weather to change and start planting the seeds that I put in your pocket. You know, my dad's a farmer, and he taught me this. He said, you can't control the weather, but you can always control your effort. And verse 6 says, plant your seeds in the morning. doesn't say anything about waiting on the weather. It says, keep busy all afternoon. So plant them early and then stay busy tending to them. For you don't know if the profit's going to come from one activity or another. And that's great advice for farmers, but it's equally good advice for the rest of us. Because seeds in the scriptures are actually symbolic of the potential that we've been given. And potential's a a sweet thing. It's, It's really fun to have it. But the thing is, if it doesn't get planted in a place that it can grow, it can quickly turn to regret. And sometimes I think we misunderstand wisdom. Wisdom was meant to give us courage, not a convenient excuse to sit on the sidelines. God's inviting us into action because people aren't hurting in the future. People are hurting now. And I'm convinced that if there's broken people in your life, that the time is now when the person is you. Because God is inviting us into action. I think there's too many Christians who say that they're waiting on the perfect moment. They're waiting on God's timing. And if we learn one thing from this chapter, let it be this. God's timing is the first thing in the morning. It's early. It's often. It's now. So stop waiting for the perfect moment and start living in the moment that you're in. Start seeing the need and start, instead of praying, actually be the answer to the prayer. Stop coming to church and actually be the church. Realize that God has placed you uniquely in this city for you to be an outpouring of his love. And maybe the conditions aren't right. Maybe you've got a lot on your plate. Maybe the person that you want to engage with is going through a tough season. But here's the good news, friend. God doesn't need a perfect season to actually move. God doesn't need the wind at his back to take ground. 
His power is perfect in every season. All he needs is for somebody to say, yes, use me. So what are we waiting for? I've been thinking about that question a lot this week. What are you waiting for? I don't mean you out there. I mean you here. I mean us collectively. Because after having a lot of conversations, I've realized that that a lot of people have really good ideas, but those good ideas have a really bad habit of staying ideas. And I've realized there's a lot of great intentions, but those great intentions have a really bad or a really bad habit of staying intentions instead of allowing God to move us to action. I think one of the predominant reasons why we've become so adverse to risk is because we're afraid to fail. We're afraid of what people might say or think about us if we put the seed in the ground and it doesn't end up looking like the plant that we saw on Pinterest. The picture doesn't end up looking like the one that we saw on Instagram. We put in the work, and what if it doesn't end up looking the way that we want it to? What if I'm not viewed as a success? In verse 10, Solomon says, refuse to worry. Refuse to worry. He says, the thing that's going to oppose action in your life more than anything else, it's not laziness, it's actually worry. Because worry is the thing that feeds our fear and our anxiety and our insecurity. It's the thing that's going to pull us inward when God is pulling us outward. So Solomon says, refuse to worry. Resist it with everything in you. And I know that that can even be a frustrating sentence for people to hear. I know that that can seem like an oversimplification of something that's very complex. It's not that easy. It's not like we wake up in the morning and the first question that we ask ourselves is, am I going to worry or not today? That's not how it works. We don't choose worry. Worry chooses us. But what God invites us into in the midst of our worry is to trust him to allow his voice to speak louder than the voice of worry. I love this line in Psalm 23. I know we think of it as this this shepherd and and his sheep, and it's this thing, this calm uh, movement by the river. But he says in it this line. He says, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. It says, the Lord prepares the table for me in the presence of my enemies. So what that means is that even in the presence of our fear, even in the presence of our insecurity, Even in the presence of our worry, our doubt, God is still preparing us for that moment that's at hand. God is still calling us. He's inviting us. He's saying, don't push the pause button. Allow my voice to speak louder. Allow my capacity to change. Allow my heart to grow so that even in the midst of this worry, I can still take one step after another and move forward into the plan that you have for me. He says, don't allow your fear to be your master. If you do, your life is going to be very small. Church, somewhere along the way, I think we picked up a spirit of fear. But according to the scriptures in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, it says God didn't give us that spirit of fear. He gave us the spirit of power and love and self-control. And that distinction changes everything. You know, as I've been reflecting on these past 10 months, I've realized that the biggest tool that God's used to shape me, to grow me, to teach me, um, it hasn't been a book, it's actually been a baby. And her name is Brooklyn. And for those of you who are wondering, yes, I did bring a picture, you can go ahead and... There she is. 
We're still working on getting the food into her mouth. Her face has proven to be quite the formidable barrier. <laughs> I guess we're all works in progress, though. So over the past few months, my wife, Kristen, and I have had the great pleasure of watching her grow. We've watched her as she's learned to roll from front to back, back to front. We've watched and learned uh, as she's, as she's uh, allowed herself to, to laugh and to eat and to drink. We've seen her start experimenting with different sounds. We even got to hear her first word, which for the record was dada. <laughs> Not that it's a competition. <laughs> but it's good to know that if it were a competition that you would have won. But let me tell you, these last 10 months have gone like that. There's nothing that speeds up the way that you actually engage with life, like having a little. And the latest thing, she's learned to crawl, and I was just captivated by the whole experience. I was like watching the world's most interesting nature documentary because it's the nature that you created. And I mean, she would fall down, and then she would get back up again, and then she would fall down, and she would get back up again, then she would smash her face on the ground, and she would try, and then she would try again. And I remember looking at her and just thinking, this girl has no quit in her. This girl is relentless. And the more that I watched her, the more that I realized it was nothing I was doing as a parent. And it had everything to do with the spirit that God put in her that is actually pulling her forwards towards growth. That's what the Spirit of God does. It actually pulls us forward towards growth, towards that next step. And this girl is absolutely obsessed with taking that next step, with developing. She's stubborn in her pursuit of growth. Now, I personally don't know where the stubbornness came from. Her wife, or my wife and I have differing ideas. <laughs> but we can tell that there's something in her that needs to be expressed. She doesn't have the words for it yet, but her actions are evidence of the fact that she was created to run. She was created to jump, and there's nothing that is going to stop her as she pursues that growth that's going to allow her to run and jump and dance and sing. And what it's allowed me to see so clearly is that each of us was born with that same relentless spirit. Each of us was born without fear. That's what scripture says. We were born with the spirit of power. So all the things that get in the way of us expressing that which God created us to be are things that we've put on or things that others have put on to us. That's not what God gave you. That's what we've put on along the way. And what Jesus came to do was to remind us of the spirit that God created us with, that spirit that pulls us forward into action, that spirit that doesn't fear how others perceive us, that spirit that gets back up when we get knocked down, and to remind us once again to listen to more closely to what God has to say about us than what other people have to say about us. Because the voice of God is always calling us forward into love, into generosity, into action. And the good news of the gospel is that there's no future view, version of yourself that God loves any more than he loves you right now in this moment. Amen. Right here. And so there's no fear in us because our identity isn't wrapped in our performance. It's not wrapped in how we did today or a checklist. It's wrapped in the grace of Jesus on the cross. And so what are we waiting for? There's nothing that we have to fear because there's no condemnation for those who are in the Christ Jesus. What are we waiting for? I want to talk about one last thing that Solomon's inviting us into. And it's joy. He says, light is sweet. How pleasant it is to see a new day dawning. 
When people live to be very old, let them rejoice. Let them rejoice in every day of their life. That can't happen if we allow life to happen while we're sitting on the sidelines. That rejoicing happens when we participate in this life that we've been given. Verse 9 says, young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. This is another one of my favorite topics in the scriptures. I, I, I feel like I see this word everywhere, this, this joy, this rejoicing, this lifestyle that we're invited into. And what I was realizing this week is that it's different than the first two things that, that Solomon's inviting us into because it's actually a byproduct. So joy is actually a byproduct. It's not an action that we take. It's not something to be chased. It's something that we receive when we chase the right stuff. And so joy doesn't come from pursuing joy. Joy comes from pursuing God. And what that means is that we understand we get to live out of joy. We get to receive joy when we live a life where we pour ourselves out for the sake of others. It comes when we live our lives instead of passively watching them pass us by. It comes when we use what we've been given to invest in the kingdom of God. And I want us to come around this idea as we close. And it's an idea that's been really profound in my own walk with the Lord. And it's the idea that God doesn't need anything from you. God doesn't need anything from you. But he does want joy for you. So God doesn't need your action. God doesn't need your generosity. But God does want you to have a life that's marked by joy. So what this chapter is really about is inviting us into a lifestyle that allows us to live in joy. God doesn't need your action, but he invites you to come along and to participate and to have an active life where we are taking action towards God and others. And that actually allows us the opportunity to experience joy that God wants for us. And God doesn't need generosity from us. He doesn't need any of our money. He doesn't need us to actually take that step. But he invites us along. He says, if you live generosity, I'm going to open you up to experiencing the joy that I want for your heart, for your soul. But God doesn't need anything from you. God wants joy for you. And this is how our lifestyle can actually activate joy. And that's what God is interested in. That's what Solomon is interested in. He's saying, don't do it like I do or else it'll be empty. It'll be regret-filled. It says, I want joy for you. And this is what it looks like. It looks like taking active ownership over our lives, living them to the fullest, living generously, living with an action mentality. But don't for a second think that God needs anything from you. I hate to break it to you, but you're just not that important. God is saying that the best life there is, is the life where you pour yourself out, where you carry the burdens of others, where you live fearlessly and selflessly, because every time we sacrifice for the sake of another, we allow ourselves to understand uh, the very DNA, the very nature of God in a deeper way. We need to understand that the God that we're here to worship, the God that we serve, poured himself out. He emptied himself out on account of us. And so when we empty ourselves out on account of others, what we're actually doing is we're aligning ourselves with the heart of Christ. And when we align ourselves with the heart of Christ, we allow ourselves a new vantage point, a new depth, a new perspective to see the depths of God's love and his grace that was poured out for us. 
And friends, there's no way for us to see a new perspective, a new vantage point, and a new way of the depths of God's love and grace without being changed. That's how change happens. It's when we understand a little bit more of what God is like and we say, yes, Lord, use me. That's why Paul says it's better to give than to receive. It's because our God is a giver, not a taker. So when we give, we understand a little bit more of what God is and what we were created to do. We were actually created to be a gift to the world, the means through which people get to see what God is like. Friends, I need you to know this. This isn't a book about wisdom. It's a book about wisdom that points to Jesus. And hidden in this book about emptiness is an invitation to joy because our God is for us, not against us. Our God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. And he's inviting you to play a vital role, not because he needs what you have to offer, but because he wants you to experience joy to the fullest. Friends, he's closer than you think he is. He's working more out in your life than you realize. And so as we close, I'm going to invite the band to come back out and join us. And I'm going to pray, and then we're going to stand, and we're going to declare that we are going to fully commit ourselves to building our lives on the love of Christ because it's the only firm foundation. So what if I preached the way that you listened? What would that sermon look like? What if I worshiped the way that you worshiped? What would that song look like that we lift up together? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, would you use us? Would you compel us to action? Would you show us a little bit more, a different angle, God, on your love that just moves us in your direction, God, that allows us um, the boldness to take up your mantle and bring your love to the world? God, would you use each and every person? Would you give us clarity in this moment? What's the action you're calling us to take? What's the generosity you're calling us to lavish upon our neighbors, upon our community? God, and even beyond. God, we love you. Would your word actually transform our hearts? Would we be changed from the inside out? Lord, have your way with us. Would this be a community that's marked by action, that's marked by generosity? Because God, I believe that those are two of the biggest evangelists that we have. God, would this be a community marked by joy? We love you, Lord. We recenter on you this Sunday morning. And pray use us. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.